0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 104 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Equestrian Collections, EquiSketch and Kentucky Performance Products. I'm Chris Stafford, and welcome back to the Dressage Radio Show. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and we hope you'll visit regularly. Well, my guest this week is Stephen Clark, who is a very well-established, well-known dressage judge and clinician around the world. And at this moment, he's halfway across the world in Canada. Stephen, it's hard to keep up with you. You're a well-travelled man.
1: Yes, seems to be, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you're in Canada now to to do what?
1: Um, I've just done a, a seminar for uh, Kedora, the uh, Canadian organisation for uh, dressage riders and coaches, and uh, which was fun. And uh, then uh, coming up this weekend is a, a national level show uh, run by Cara Whittam, the well-known um, O-judge from Canada. And... Uh, then I think I come back again here uh, in June for two more shows. So uh, it's busy.
0: (laughs) Well, you're always busy, and I know we've wanted to get you on the show before, Stephen, but I think congratulations are in order. You do have a a little piece of news. In the last week, I think it was announced that you are going to be the president of the Grand Jury for the London 2012 Olympic Games. Congratulations.
1: Thank you very much. Yes, it's uh, a huge honour. I'm thrilled to bits. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that very much. Um, you know, we're very excited in the UK when um, London was awarded the the games, and you know, to be part of it is uh, just brilliant, really. So, uh, I'm very excited about that.
0: Well, it is an honour, isn't it, to be given? You know, this is the top job, isn't it? And to be the president of the grand jury at an Olympic Games, it doesn't get any better than that, does it?
1: Uh, <laughs> no, I suppose not. But uh, it's a, a huge responsibility comes along with it. But you know, uh, we accept that before we start. So, uh, you know, the main thing is that um, you know they, they haven't actually. Um, uh, announced the the other members of Grand Jury yet but uh, you know obviously they will be from the from the best in the world really so it should be a great team and uh, you know we'll just do our best to make sure that every rider is uh, judged fairly and and um May
0: the best man win, really. Uh, Or or woman, absolutely. I'm
1: sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it is a timely question because that you have been appointed because a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to uh, Kim Crailing, we were reviewing the uh, Remacra FEI World Cup finals there in Leipzig a couple of weeks ago. And the question between us arose about how the judges are... Designated, you know, who appoints the judges and who decides who sits where, basically, around the arena. And of course, there were seven judges now in a World Cup and a Championship. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, clearly, uh, cl- the answer c- came back to us, and I and actually reported that on last week's show. Uh, the USEF kindly replied to that question, and in, in that the FEI do appoint the president of the Grand Jury for major championships, and then then. Do you decide then when you get to the competition who sits where, Stephen?
1: Um, well, I mean, it is a fairly complicated process, but uh, basically for a, a championship, um, the I, I'm not 100% sure, it's a, but I believe the process is that um, the dressage committee, the FEI dressage committee, um, selects, I think twelve names for a long list and then uh nine months before the competition uh the they do a ballot literally uh from those twelve names and uh then for London um the six other members of the grand jury will be selected and also I presume um a reserve judge. Uh So uh, this process sort of starts, I think the the JSP has uh, some influence on it. I think they make some suggestions and then the dressage committee sort of uh, makes the decisions and uh, then recommends those decisions to um, the dressage director which is Strondasmere and then I think it's taken from there basically. So it's quite a lengthy, complicated process. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, of um, course, you're not new to the Olympic Games. This will be your second. You were in Athens, weren't you?
1: Yes, which was, for me, just the most wonderful experience. Um, You know, especially when you think that's the origin of the, you know, the home of the Olympic Games, basically. To be part of that was unbelievably special um it was a great competition
0: and just to remind our listeners you're an feio judge or five-star judge and you already have been officiated at some officiating at some of the top competitions What five world cup finals three european championships and three world equestrian games <laughs> Stephen? that's quite a track record
1: yes uh i, I certainly have been busy <laughs> um, <but laughs> um uh, it's very exciting you know uh And to be uh, part of that, you know, as a former rider, to to go into this side of it, um, you know, is very exciting. And, you know, at least I I feel I do know what it's like from the other side of the fence, too. So, uh, you know, it makes the job a little bit more straightforward, but uh, it's never easy.
0: Well... We want to talk a little bit about your background because we do have some questions for you. But I'm going to take a short commercial break, Steve, and then then when I come back, uh, we'll talk about how you got started in dressage. Many riders that started their riding career in other disciplines migrate towards dressage as they mature as riders. Physically, emotionally and intellectually, dressage becomes more attractive and at every stage in their life, riders are looking to wear appropriate apparel that has often been designed specifically for the sport. Style and functionality are important, as is a certain level of attention to detail and quality. For this reason, there is no better choice than to shop at Equestrian Collections. Their selection is unmatched with the best names in riding attire. For all your riding and stable chores, be sure to visit equestriancollections.com. Well, my guest this week is Stephen Clark, who is obviously well-known around the dressage world and uh, much travelled, and I would, wouldn't mind your your air miles, Stephen. You must hardly spend any time at home, I would think.
1: Oh, I managed to, um, you know, work things out uh, reasonably well, and... Uh yeah, and when I am at home, I do, you know, obviously uh, a lot of clinics up and down the UK and at my base in Cheshire. So, uh, yeah, I'm certainly busy, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> that's for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background, Steve, and how you got started, because we do have a question from uh, Jason Curtis, actually, who posted on our Facebook page. Uh, he'd love to know how you got started and, and a little bit about your background because people see you, of course, in the judge's box and, and they really don't know get to know much about these people that sit there all day long judging. And uh, So tell us a little bit. You said you were in Cheshire, which is in the north of England, and you had, of course, a riding background internationally. Tell, tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Um, well, I suppose originally, um, you know, I, I rode in all disciplines, uh You know, as a a youngster, um, I started off basically as a show jumping rider and then sort of uh, moved from that to three day event. And um, it was just a natural process, really. Uh, I am so old, but in the 70s to specialize in uh, pure dressage uh, competing. And uh, I've just been very lucky, you know. Uh, I've had some very nice horses and uh, uh, some good owners, and uh, had a great time competing all over Europe with the uh, dressage horses. And uh, it just seemed a natural progression, really, to go into the judging game. Um, I've always been interested, you know. I was a, a national judge for years. Um, even when I was competing. And uh, it just seems to have um, progressed step by step, really. And now uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to be doing something every day that's so interesting.
0: Interesting, as you say, and challenging, and also a responsibility. Now, what attracted you to become a judge? What, what what was it there that, you know, Having was it because you'd been in the saddle and seen the other side of it that you really wanted to get that perspective <laughs> to? Uh,
1: yes. I mean, to be, well, to be perfectly honest, I started, you know, um, you know how the story goes. Uh, most shows, um, especially sort of national level competitions, you know, everybody has a little pop at the judges. And, uh, you know, as a rider... Uh, I wasn't always satisfied either with the sort of scores I got and uh, the remarks or whatever. And I thought rather than moaning about it, uh, I thought I'd rather get involved in that side of it and see if we could do something about it. And, uh, you know, I haven't regretted it for a moment because um, it really opens your eyes when you see it from that side of the fence too. Um you know, and I find the the judging actually helps or h- helped in the past my riding and certainly does help my uh, abilities as a trainer because you really see how marks are won and lost. And, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity, really. Um, and I, I find it, you know, for me, it's such a challenge because... You know, as a rider, I thought, uh, you know, as we all do, you're very lucky if once or twice a year you finished a test and you were properly satisfied with it. And uh, as a judge, I can tell you it's no different. Um, normally, after every competition, you sort of think, damn, you know, I was maybe a little bit out here or there. or, But, you know, hopefully a few times a year when it counts... Um, you, you managed to do a good job but it's uh, a difficult and challenging job and, and that's why I like it I've always liked to challenge
0: <laughs> Well, as a rider then you would empathise with Adeline Cornelinson who we, sh- we should remind our <laughs> listeners at the World Equestrian Games in last year yeah. um, had to be eliminated because of the blood on uh, Percival's lip uh, th- that must have been a very hard moment for you very tough decision.
1: Yeah, well, it it, it was a horrible moment, but uh, you know there really wasn't a decision to to make. Um, you know, as the horse finished the, the half pass and then came to do the halt and rein back directly in front of me, the you know the blood in the mouth was so obvious it left me with no choice, and uh, I was just so impressed with her attitude because she you know, took it on the chin like a, a real professional. And, uh, you know, that's that, because in the end, um, you know, obviously we cannot uh, accept that situation in a in a dressage competition. Um,
0: very, very tough to have to make that call, and obviously for both parties. Um, but we since heard, Stephen, uh, that, um, that, that there was actually no rule correct me if i'm wrong but the fei rule did did not have a specific rule for dressage and this came about i think from a british journalist pepper cookson who looked into this a little bit more and so were you were you referring to a general fei rule on on welfare
1: yeah basically exactly it's a it's a welfare issue and uh, you know obviously if if a horse is um, bleeding from somewhere uh, something has happened to it it's you know uh, possibly a veterinary issue and uh it's simply something that um you cannot i mean it's the same thing if a horse goes lame you know um there's obviously uh, something has created that problem and could possibly need veterinary attention so uh, there's no question of um you know, allowing a horse to continue in that situation uh, simply from a welfare point of view. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate uh, because it can be a minor uh, veterinary issue, but it is an issue nevertheless, and, um, you know, there's there's no question of of how it had to be dealt with. Um, I know they are uh, discussing sort of different situations possibly for the future, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens.
0: Well, having been the man in the hot seat there and with the benefit of hindsight, would you like to see a rule change that would allow for say a minor situation as this turned out to be Um, of course you weren't to know in in the moment but when the horse left the arena it was a minor cut for uh, then a veterinary inspection to be held privately and a chance to be reinstated would that be an option?
1: Um, It's certainly what they are considering at the moment and you know uh, I mean, I'm not part of that uh, decision-making process, but um, it's a very difficult one and it's a very complicated one because you can imagine uh, the sort of various scenarios that could happen, you know, uh, or where it could lead to. Um, I mean, you could have the same thing, then what do you do with a horse that appears lame and then that, uh, feels later it's okay and it comes back again and it's still lame and or mm. the horse uh, bites its tongue and goes out and, and the vet sees, you know, that it's not so serious and it comes in and the wound opens up again and it bleeds again. I mean, I can see a mm. million nightmare situations. Yes. But, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, anything that... You know, everybody in a position of authority. Um, the main aim is to uh, develop the rules that are fair as possible to the riders. Um, but the number one priority, always and, and must remain that way, will be for the welfare of the horse. Um, you know, there's no question of that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how this situation develops. You know, there may be a, a more practical and fair way to deal with it, uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see what comes up, really.
0: Well, that leads us nicely into a question that we've got via Twitter Stephen um, and we're uh, uh, a question for you is asking what sort of judges decisions can be appealed and she asks successfully I think it's a she asked successfully uh, that that I think is another question in itself But <laughs> generally the question is what sort of judges decisions can be appealed
1: um, I think basically you know uh, the judges decision uh, you know uh, as regards the score I- is final Um, But, um, you know, I think there always should be sort of open dialogue um, between, you know, everybody involved in the sport, really. And uh, certainly, you know, uh, we encourage the judges on our courses to be, you know, open and to be prepared to, you know, discuss a rider's a sheet with them if they you know if they come along politely and bring their sheet and want to discuss some marks or comments then i think everybody should be open to that um you know because uh, it just in the spirit of fair play really um but i don't know what you mean particularly about which decisions are appealable
0: yes i think uh, it's it's not like cricket, is it? If you're if you're out, you're out. Um, <laughs> and yeah. cr- anybody that can relate to the sport of of, of cricket, and what the uh, the umpire's decision is is final. Um, but the, I, I think she's asking really what the process is, is if there is a procedure.
1: Uh, I mean, certainly the sort of. Uh there's a decision a discussion is open if i think that's probably what she means mm-hmm.
0: okay and her second question uh, is how are judges licensed
1: okay um <laughs> this uh, again fairly uh complicated um quite correctly it's quite a lengthy procedure um I'm thinking how to put it in a a nutshell because it could take half an hour to to tell you all that. But basically, um, a judge goes from being uh, a national uh, Grand Prix level judge and uh, then their national federation sends them on uh, two FEI courses um, which they have to participate in and uh, also there's a a fair amount of sitting in and practice judging to be done, and when the judge has fulfilled those criteria, they go forward and take uh, an examination um, with the FEI, then they become a uh, a three-star, we used to call candidate judge, and uh, then after a a period of some years and further training, um, they can again be recommended by the National Federation to come forward to sit another examination to four-star, which we used to call international-level status. And uh, from then on, um, it's a question of... um, sort of proven experience and ability and, you know, that the dressage committee itself can see that a judge has proven themselves in a a really good way and then they make the final recommendation to five-star or, again, as we used to call it, O-level status. Um, uh, So it's a fairly lengthy procedure which... You know, I think uh, perhaps people don't sort of realise. There's always a joke, I think, about, uh, you know, I think it takes 10 or 12 years to be a brain surgeon, but 25 years to become a dressage judge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that leads me into my next question as to what year did you actually start judging, Stephen?
1: Uh, um well, you know, as I say I I, I was have uh, been a, a started judging at national level pro- probably 30 years ago and um then you know at a fairly young age uh sort of ended up as an FEI candidate judge again while I was still riding and um at that stage even though I was still competing, I was allowed to judge, um, you know, pony, junior, young rider, European championships, and that sort of thing. And um, so at the highest level, probably, I'm hopeless with, the, with no sense of timing at all, but uh, probably, I don't know, 12, 15 years. Um, and it's uh, been fascinating. Yeah, um, I've had a great time with it. Uh, it's not easy, but, you know, as I said before, I like the challenge of it and also, you know, we're very fortunate to you know, have travelled to places that I would never otherwise have seen and and met some wonderful people that I wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to meet Um you know, I know that the riders sort of come down the centre line and see these sort of miserable-looking people <laughs> sitting <laughs> in the judges' boxes, but I can tell you uh, they are some of the uh, the majority of the colleagues all around the world, they're wonderful people that, you know, take the job seriously, but um, they're a fabulous company, and, uh, you know, when we've finished judging and done our dissecting and all the rest of it i have to say we have a great time
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm sure some nice hospitality well we're going to ask you some more questions uh, after we take another short commercial break equisketch is a great new company dedicated to providing the best mobile apps for every rider each app has been designed to be used by riders of all ages and all levels of experience With EquiSketch Dressage, you can replace your dressage paper or dry erase boards and begin learning all your dressage tests on your iPhone or iPad. The EquiSketch board allows you to study in a flashcard style by hiding the step instructions while visualising your location in the arena. Every test can also be viewed in a written format and later shared with your dressage students or fellow riders. EquiSketch records allows you to manage all your horses and shows on the go. Track every medication, vet visit, dental exam, farrier work and more, complete with built-in reminders. EquiSketch has some of the best-selling equestrian apps on the itunes app store which have already been purchased in over 35 countries they are available for the iphone ipad and ipod touch so visit equisketch.com hrn for more information or search equisketch in itunes equisketch is dedicated to making your equestrian life mobile one app at a time well, Stephen Clark, as I said, you are um, a well-travelled man and I'm sure you get to know the programs around the world at the night. We have a question from a Susan Bartlett Olson, who's from Sunnyvale, California, and she asks about the program in the United States from the U.S. Dressage Federation's L program. She said, are there any words of advice for someone beginning that program?
1: Okay, well, well first of all, I, I don't really know the ins and outs of... Um the judges program in the states other than knowing that it's very thorough and uh, you know one of the most uh, intensive uh, systems of any of the countries really Um, but to get started uh, my advice would be to try to uh, you know from having some real experience yourself Uh, then go and um, sit and uh, sit in with people that, you know, are very well respected and uh, learn from them and uh, also do, you know, as much practice judging as possible and compare your marks and remarks with uh, the more experienced judges. I think that's really the best way to sort of... uh, you know, develop your expertise for the future.
0: Well, you famously published a beautiful, beautiful book recently. Um, that I have a copy of. It is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, that, and I, I want to congratulate you on that because that was really beautiful. Thank you. And I'm I, I'm sure that it's well so- sold. Um, you're going to remind everybody the title and where they can find it,
1: uh, uh, Stephen. Um, Well, it's, yeah, it's called uh, Dressage Dreams and um, it can be found, uh, I think, probably the easiest way is by Googling um, Mm -hmm. lewisharding.com. But uh, it was a a fascinating thing to do because I I was simply approached by uh, Valerie Lewis, um, the editor, uh, some years ago now, with this idea and uh, I really am happy that I did it because you know for me it was a <clears throat> an opportunity to you know actually say as a judge uh, how much we appreciate some of the brilliant riding and um, presentation of dressage that we see you know as a judge you have split seconds literally to make remarks and marks and there's never really an opportunity to um actually tell the riders how much we appreciate them, um, even though, you know, we're left full of admiration. So for me it was a great opportunity to actually really say what I felt about some of the top performances we've seen over the years. It was a great fun to do it.
0: I can imagine it. It is a beautiful book. We'll put a link on our website to Dressage Dreams by Stephen Clarks, and uh, as Stephen said, you can find it at lewisharding.com. We'll give you a link there to the publisher's website, too. We do have a question from Fran Yerger. Stephen she writes uh, on our Facebook fan page I'd like to know more about how he did that amazing book he's a very multi-talented individual and I'm just gobsmacked by that did anyone love the book and she's a huge fan all around of yours Stephen <laughs> so thanks to Fran for that question how did you go about doing the book
1: oh um well I can tell you there were many Many evenings in hotel rooms and on long flights, and uh, you know every moment where I wasn't involved in everything else. Really, um, it took altogether probably best part of two years to put the whole thing together. Um, and again, you know, uh, Valerie Lewis did uh, so much of the spade work with it, and set the whole thing up so that it was as easy as possible for me to, you know, uh, write my thoughts. Um, And, uh, you know, she provided all the uh, photographs. Her partner, Paul Harding, um, is a very talented uh, photographer, as you can see from the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, it was a real team effort, and they were such lovely people to work with. Um, uh, I really enjoyed doing it. Um,
0: How did you choose your subjects when you have so much choice?
1: Well, that was, of course, a problem. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are enough uh, riders. We could have made three books, you know. So it was a little bit sort of pot in in some situations because... You know, in the end, of course, I was rather sad because there were many horses and riders that were not included that could have been. But, um, you know, possibly that's something for the future. Uh, it, uh, it, it wasn't easy, really. And it was a little bit, you know, potluck to a certain um, point of view. But at least I think we got the majority of the, you know, really interesting horses in there. Yeah.
0: Beautifully illustrated, be- beautifully written, and does that mean that we're going to see more books from Stephen Clark?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I, I must say they have talked about making a, a, you know, a second book because there are, well, and, and time moves on. There are more horses now that could be included, and that there are still some from the past that, you know, I, I would have liked to. Um, had in there too I, I can think of uh, the wonderful little uh, Russian horse uh, Um you know he would have been marvellous to include but um, you know and several others too so yeah. hopefully there will be one in the future if, if any of us ever have enough time to do it
0: <laughs> absolutely uh, yes Ty- time is uh, just that essential ingredient with the, the schedule that you have before I let you go, Stephen, tell us what's on your calendar for this year, just 2011, because obviously 2012 is going to be a big year with the Olympics, but uh, I'm sure you take one year at a time.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, uh, well, again, as, as usual, there's a, a huge amount of travelling. Um, uh, I am actually a member of the grand jury this year for the European Championships as well in Rotterdam in August and um then uh also I'm president of the grand jury for the Pan American Games um in Mexico later on in the year and uh between all that there are you know lots of shows in in Europe um I've already done several shows in the states particularly in Florida this year um I think there's an Australian visit coming up Uh, later on too which i love um and uh yeah and and trying to earn a living in between (laughs)
0: yes are there any favorite shows amongst the ones that you've done around the world
1: oh yeah that's difficult yeah um you know every country has um some great shows and um you know, I must say, it's wonderful to start off the year uh, um, with that uh, Florida circus and the, you know, wonderful friendliness and nice weather. <laughs> it's nice mm. to escape from Europe. Um, and, you know, then you get the really high level. We've got Archen coming up uh, also, uh, gosh, fairly soon now, a couple of months, Um each show has a different atmosphere you know and uh, I I enjoy the sort of relaxed shows some of the smaller shows where you feel you can actually get nearer to the sport Um, but I also quite like you know like often you feel uh, a huge atmosphere there and there's always a you know a fair amount of pressure Um, and I quite like that too (laughs) so (laughs) I think I seem to thrive on pressure. I don't know why. Um, but uh, no, there are many exciting venues around the world and uh, uh, I'm just lucky to go to them, really.
0: Well, I have to ask you, outside of the venues, do you get any time to enjoy the environment and do you have any sort of special places that you love to visit You know, outside of the competition?
1: Um, yeah, I've got a little bit better at it. You know, I used to um, sort of go at the last minute and then fly home the split second the show is finished and and all the rest of it but you know now if i go to um interesting places um you know i do take a couple of days either side and you know have a look around and you know i've been very fortunate with that um you know visiting uh, lots of places i mean i love canada um i'm here now <laughs> again mm-hmm. and uh so we've got a few days between uh, venues to, you know, meet up with uh, friends and have decent dinners and go to a theatre and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I try and try and uh, make life as enjoyable as possible.
0: <laughs> well, I would have to say that you know you do have those opportunities. You know, when you're not in the judge's box, which is has to be tiring in itself to concentrate for that length of time, even with the breaks, and then the opportunities outside for fine dining and good wine, as I'm sure you enjoy, because the hospitality at so many of these venues around the world is, is pretty good, isn't it?
1: Yes. Uh, you know, um, I mean, we, we don't need or... or, or too often get the sort of red carpet treatment but we don't want that um the main thing that i enjoy really is the sort of friendliness um of the organizers and uh, you know good company over dinner but um it's not quite as fancy as people probably imagine
0: uh, so <laughs> any budding judges out there don't get to
1: no don't don't we, we still queue up at the hot dog stand sometimes <laughs>
0: What does Stephen Clark do for fun?
1: Um, gardening which is not awful uh, and uh, uh, I love theater and uh, dogs and um, yeah all sorts of things really
0: time for any riding and competing yourself these days
1: no uh, I still occasionally uh, climb on something you know when I'm teaching but um, i'm I don't know. I'm one of these people that, um, if if I can't do it properly, and you can't uh, train a horse uh, properly on on the sort of schedule that I'm on, so you know if I can't really do it thoroughly, then I prefer. I've had my fun in that that side of it, so you know I'd rather leave that to others and concentrate on my judging and training side of things, really. Uh, but I, I do occasionally sort of climb on if I can't resist
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just to remind yourself of the view from the tack
1: yeah, That's right, that's right. <laughs>
0: Wonderful Well obviously a very busy man indeed I want to thank you so much Stephen for spending time with us this week Good luck for the rest of the season and uh, of course looking forward to those, all those major championships this year and next year And uh, Enjoy the competition, enjoy the view from
1: the judges box <laughs> It's a pleasure, thank you very much
0: Well, before we wrap up the show this week, I want to remind you about one of our other valued sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show. When horsemen were asked what they were looking for in a nutritional supplement, the answer was easy. One that's affordable, effective and scientifically proven. Kentucky Performance Products heard that message and developed supplements that meet those needs. All of their supplements, from Nalox Equine Antacid to Summer Games Electrolytes and Joint Armour, are all formulated based on sound research. The important thing is that you can count on them to deliver results, and they're affordable. So to choose the right KPP supplement for your horse, visit kppusa.com or call 1-800-772-1988. And to learn more about horse nutrition and interact with the KPP experts, be sure to join their Facebook fan page. Well, that's it for this week's show. I hope you've enjoyed our exclusive interview with Stephen Clark. I want to thank him again for spending time with us and remind you all of our website links here at dressageradio.com where you can click on the link to the Hallway Feeds app and listen to the show on the go. You can also join in the um, some shopping with Amazon directly from our website, as well as take advantage of the Audible free trial offer there at uh, our link on the website. And don't forget to leave your comments, questions, suggestions on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you there. And I know some of you regular listeners enjoy a little banter on there too. So join me at our fan page on Facebook and also follow us on Twitter at Chris E Stafford don't forget to put the E in the middle and I want to thank everybody who does follow me there I was quite surprised when I went on there the other day and found how many people were actually following me so I appreciate that and also you can follow of course horse radio at uh, twitter too and don't forget you can send your comments questions and suggestions to me if you prefer via email to chris at horseradionetwork.com i will be back of course with yet more content i on the dressage radio show lots more fun interviews profiles news views interviews training tips and anything else you would like me to share with you here on the dressage radio show that's all coming up of course each and every week here And I will be back same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening.